the moment when the screen goes black. Or the silence right before the story begins. I get excited. I wonder where it's going. Is this going to be a movie that's set with a grand landscape, a nature scene? Is this going to be funny dialogue between two people and we know right away, oh, this is going to be a comedy? Or is it serious? Is it intense? Action-packed, where maybe you're at behind the wheel of a car racing around a road. Where is the movie going to go? The start of a story, the start of a movie, really draws me in, and I want to see what's going to happen. Well, I don't know if you've seen the movie where there's a commander who's gathered with a very small band of his men, and they know something is coming. They don't exactly know what. They've been under surveillance by the military. They've been listened in on, and they feel like a surprise attack is coming. And they're just looking at one another intently in the eyes and saying, we got this, we're together. We've got one another's backs. And the commander does what a commander really shouldn't do at all and says, I have a bad feeling about this one. I feel like I'm not going to make it out. And they're like, no, no, we've got this. We're trained, we're ready, we're together, we know what to do. You're not dying, we're not hearing anything of it. And they move forward. When the heat comes, when what they expect hits them in an unexpected way, those men abandon that commander and he is left alone. He's captured. And he ends up being brutally killed, all in this matter of a few hours. Have have any of you seen this movie? Give me a title or a name. Passion of the Christ, okay, well, that's a good guess. Somebody else? Okay, more on that later. In the last... uh, few weeks, I've paid close attention to the start of many things, like the start of prophetic books. Uh, last week, I, 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 in passing, mentioned the strange prophet who was told by God, I want you to go to this pagan group of people. And he says no, and he goes in the opposite direction and ends up in the belly of a fish. Now, that story has got to be a comedy. It's just, that's too crazy. In fact, that guy Jonah ends up finally being spit in the right direction by that fish and goes and converts the entire town of Nineveh. 120,000 people convert. He is the most successful megachurch pastor of all time. (laughs) And he's not happy about it. Or or what about the one uh, of the guy that begins in a basket as a baby floating down a river where his mother has put him to escape the killing of the babies in Egypt. Remember that one with Moses? Now, you might not be familiar with this third one. What about the guy who had a three-year stint of his ministry that he spent entirely naked and barefoot? That's right. It's funny, right? The prophet Isaiah, naked and barefoot for three years. All right, embarrassment of three years of nudity, that's a lot. But barefoot? I mean, that's painful. At least let him wear shoes. These are odd stories. 
The Bible is full of them if we pay close attention, if we don't get distracted by the distance. We've been looking at an odd story, an old story, for the last three weeks of John the bug eater, I mean baptizer. This guy who eats bugs and who fights off other bugs to get the honey, those stinging kind, the kind that were driving me crazy last night. Right, Debbie? This guy has been sent in front of Jesus. A message of preparing the way for Jesus to come. We don't get Jesus yet. We just get the prophet Isaiah's words on the lips of this guy with bug breath. And John the baptizer says in his message, prepare the way of the Lord. Not a very fancy, not a very flashy message, but prepare the way of the Lord. The other part of his message is preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. I like this. He's got a message, and he has an action, and he brings them together. You're going to hear things, and you're going to do things as well. And we've hung on to that, um, knowing that the message is preparing the way of the Lord, and knowing that here at First Christian Church, we are bringing people to Jesus. These messages seem to align of what John the Baptist was doing and what we want to do as well. So two weeks ago, when I began this series, I gave you... Uh, the first word of how uh, we begin, and that is repentance. Again, a strange way to begin. Repentance, where we're turning our lives and aligning the pattern and path of our lives with God's. We're clearing out and filtering out those things that distract us from a laser focus upon the true and living God. And then last week, in the second of these, I brought out the word confession that we are to confess our sins openly to one another, to be able to admit what we already know. We make mistakes, and to acknowledge that, to open up this gateway that God has where our mistakes are brought to the light of day and illuminated. And we're not allowed to keep them secret and in isolation and separate from community, but we bring them out into the open and say, yes, I am not God, I make mistakes. That kind of path is very important because if Christians do not confess their sins, if they keep them private, people will mistake us as perfect people, and we're not. We need to be able to confess to bring those things to the light of day so people will know us as we really are, like one another, stumblers and bumblers. Well, this week we get a beautiful word. This week we get the word forgiveness. Something that Christians uh, talk about a lot, a lot more than repentance and a lot more than confession. The forgiveness of sins that God offers to us. This, if there was something that Christians want to be known for, if we want to go into business, as if that were a thing, to offer to others would be forgiveness. Where you can have your sins, your mistakes, washed away. With that no longer is your identity, it goes away. Whenever mistakes are forgiven, they're released and they're set free. Well, Christians. Christians had a little code word in the New Testament that you can occasionally see that we don't often notice of what this path looks like. And it was called simply the way. 
And we've seen it in John, or we've seen it in Mark, on the lips of John, of preparing the way of Jesus. And it shows up some in Mark as people are following Jesus along the way. Well, it gets kind of codified. It becomes a moniker of sorts. In Acts, the way distinguishes this group of Jews that is a follower of Christ. So if you follow in Acts chapter 9, Saul, who when he's persecuting the church, is persecuting the followers of the way. Or in Acts 24, it talks about the specific sect, this group of people, that was called the way. Well, as we look at these followers of the way, and what defines them and what sets them apart, it sounds kind of like what we've done here at First Christian Church of Albuquerque. You see on a lot of our language, we have this one word first, and we'll use that as a tagline description for who we are. We're first. Well, we know that we're First Christian Church of Albuquerque. All of those words are part of our identity, but we've come up with a smaller, more streamlined and simple way to refer to ourselves. It might be kind of like that. So these Christians are known as the way. And one of the defining characteristics of Christians along the way is forgiveness. And we love to talk about forgiveness. In fact, you can almost go to almost any Christian service over a weekend, and you're going to hear about God's forgiveness, how God wants to take care of you and take away your sins. And that is so important. It's so important for us to understand that our identity is not defined by the mistakes that we've made. That's good. But today, I want to say that sometimes we treat forgiveness as a parking lot. We just stay right there. God has forgiven me. And I want us to keep reading on in the story. I want us to keep watching the movie to see where this goes. Because the forgiveness that God offers to us is meant to inspire us and move us to be forgiving of other people. And that's where we're going today. Yes, God's forgiveness is important as he's giving it and granting it to us, but God's forgiveness pushes us further. So if, if repentance is us acknowledging that God is God, and if confession is us acknowledging, I am not God, I make mistakes, Forgiveness is a move that says, I know that you're not God. I know that you make mistakes too. And I'm going to offer you grace and offer you forgiveness. Well, here's how I want to do this. I want us to dive into Mark and look real quickly at five episodes of how forgiveness pops up past this first chapter of Mark. The first place that it comes up is in Mark chapter 2, where Jesus comes across a paralyzed man a paralytic. And you kind of get the sense that you've seen this show before, that Jesus is going to heal the paralytic guy. But that's not what Jesus does. There's a strange twist. Jesus looks around, sees who's there, and says to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven. Well, this paralyzed man has done nothing offensive to Jesus. They're not in a fight. Jesus is actually saying, I'm forgiving all of your sins. The religious people in the room who are able to parse the words and splice the words are not happy about this at all. They're like, that's blasphemy. He's forgiving that man's sins. 
And so Jesus does not let off the gas. He shifts into another gear and presses the gas forward and says, which is easier? To say your sins are forgiven or to say, get up and walk? And so, to show the power of God, he looks at the paralyzed man and says, stand up, take up your mat, and walk. And they all watch, and the man does just that. He stands up. He picks and rolls up his mat, and he leaves. Now, Jesus, in preaching that little sermon, didn't need PowerPoint. Didn't need a smoke machine or a motorcycle or video clips. These people were smart. They could connect the dots. Who forgives sins? Well, that's God. Who is in charge of health? Well, God has a lot to do with the creation of our bodies and what happens with them. And so they are left to connect the dots with a Sharpie exclamation point, and Jesus doesn't have to teach anything else. They know this guy can heal, and he can forgive, and he is in some way connected to God. That's story number one. Story number two shows up in Mark chapter three. Jesus has already been accused of blasphemy, and so now he's going to turn it around and explain what blasphemy really is. So he speaks about the unforgivable sin, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Now they accused him of blasphemy because he claimed to forgive sins. And what Jesus said is, you are looking at me and calling my works of the devil, of Beelzebub. That is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. When you see the good works of God and you call them evil, that's blasphemy. When you see the goodness that's in the world and you assign it to Satan, that's blasphemy. And Jesus turns it and says, that's unforgivable. That's going against the goodness of God. Story number three, episode three, comes in Mark chapter four. Jesus is again with his apostles. And in chapter four, verse 11, he's looking at them and saying, you guys have been given the secret of the kingdom of God. To those on the outside, they are ever trying to understand, they're ever trying to follow, but they don't. Because if they did understand, they would turn, they would repent, they would change, and they would find forgiveness. One of the aspects of this insider secret of the kingdom of God is the forgiveness of sins, of living in this way where our sins don't define us and they become further and further in the rear view, further and further appealing to us as actions in our lives. The fourth episode is in Mark chapter 11. And if you've begun to grow sleepy and tired about these intricate discussions of blasphemy and healing, this one ends up being the most practical of all. This is one that you can action in your own life. Jesus looks at his apostles and says, when you are praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive them. Whoa, wait, wait just a second. Anything against anyone? Now, when I hear that, that's pretty pointed for me. That's very expansive. Anything against anyone. If we pull these together, these things that we harbor inside of us are to be brought to the Lord and in prayer we 
can begin to pray to the Lord on behalf of those anythings and anyones. No, not praying for them to be a burnt offering, but praying for them in the presence of God. Now, the last episode, the fifth one that we'll look at, is one where forgiveness does not show up as a word. But I think it's there. I think it's hidden there. Mark chapter 14. In fact, the fake movie that I gave you on the front end, where someone, I didn't hear who it was, brought up Passion of the Christ, did it sound pretty strikingly similar to you? Was I that transparent? Clearly, I'm not going to be a movie writer, okay? I'm stealing stuff, and it's not all that compelling. No, seriously. This is the story of the Last Supper, of Jesus gathered with his closest disciples. They are intent on being with him to the end, and he knows what's going to happen. He knows what they will do. And the story goes that he looks at them and he says, take this bread and eat it. It's my flesh. Take this wine and drink it. It's my blood. My blood of the new covenant that's poured out. The Gospel of Matthew adds, for the forgiveness of sins. Here in Mark, it's just blood that is poured out. Now, this is stunning to me. Jesus is eating with these people that are going to abandon him, to deny him, to betray him. And he stays in that moment. He doesn't run off. He treats them with love. He lets them know what they're going to do. He lets them know even how they're going to come back, in the case of Peter. But he stays in there. What is it that keeps Jesus at home in that moment where he can take that betrayal and continue to wash their feet, to stand in the garden and receive that kiss? from the betrayer, the one that would hand him over? How can he hear even the energy and the passion of a Peter that says, oh no, if all these other jokers deny you, I'm going to be the only one to die right there with you. You know, Jesus loved his boldness. Jesus could see that it wasn't going to happen, that even Peter was going to walk away. So why? Why could Jesus do that? Because he'd already forgiven them. They were already in this way of forgiveness, and Jesus could say, knowing in advance what they were going to do, and yet act as if they're already forgiven. Brothers and sisters, this is an amazing experience around this table, for him to act in this forgiving way. We learned something very important about forgiveness. The forgiveness is something that takes place before that person asks about it, right? Forgiveness is something that must take place inside of us. If we're to embody and, and be like Jesus, we're going to have to begin to act like Jesus did at this Last Supper. We're going to have to begin to become the kind of people that are not content simply to receive and to claim the forgiveness of God, but we must begin to act in forgiving ways towards others. To offer to those other people the kind of forgiveness that we've been given. 
that gets a little more uncomfortable, doesn't it? Especially as we think about what we've been through. The things that happen to each one of us as individuals. And you know, we could do all kinds of things here. I could, I could tell you about Matt, the fireman, who at age 20 worked a long shift, was tired, fell asleep at the wheel, was awakened to the sound of crushing metal as his car crushed into June Fitzgerald's car, and she died and her young daughter did not. June Fitzgerald was married to a pastor, and that pastor reached out to Matt, the fireman, and let him know that he was forgiven and developed a relationship with Matt. It's amazing, right? We could... We could come up with all kinds of real-world stories like Matt and like this pastor, but they're almost like out of reach for us. How in the world could we act in that same way? How could we be that forgiving? Especially when we think about what's gone on in our own life, right? As you're beginning to picture the people that you need to forgive, we're talking about people that have abused us physically or verbally or sexually. How do we forgive them and yet still be angry about what they've done? To not be satisfied that that's normal. How do we forgive people who have uh, fired us? How do we forgive people who have fought with us as family members around the will that everyone is so contentious about? These are big things. Or we could go to the grand scale. We could look on the, the stage of the world's history. This year is the 25th anniversary of the Rwandan genocide. I recognize that this is halfway across the globe and it's a quarter of a century away. But in 1994, Christian people in Rwanda knowingly and willingly killed their neighbors. Primarily, it was the Tutsis who wiped out a hundred, excuse me, over a hundred day period they killed between 800,000 people and a million people. That's eight to 10,000 people a day in small communities where they knew one another. What do you do with that? How does a country recover from that? How does the religion of Christianity recover from that when it was used to kill people? Well, I can tell you what Rwanda did, and there are mixed reviews on whether or not this worked, primarily been positive. But Rwanda, having a very long history, being on the continent of Africa, they're much older than the United States, right? New Mexico and Mexico, we have a long, very old history, especially when you compare the, the, the United States, the history that's here. But Africa goes way, way, way back. Well, they went back to this thing, to this Gakaka uh, courts, where openly and in full disclosure, things are confessed and said out loud. So what they did, what the government did, was open up these courts where people could come in and say, this is who I killed, this is how I killed them, this is where they're buried. Can you forgive me? And they would go into a illicit detail of how this happened. It was a place where people could say, I lost my grandmother or my grandson and I don't know where they're at. Can someone come forward and tell? And for years, this took place because they believed that truth is more powerful than the evil that had been done. Now, that's very uncomfortable. 
As I've heard interviews about that, one thing that struck me and, uh, and really resonated as true with me is that they didn't assume that this somehow made everything better, that it somehow made the relationship perfectly restored, and you could now smile at your neighbor that you knew had killed your grandfather. It doesn't, it doesn't mean you trust them more. It just means that the edge is taken away where you're no longer going to seek revenge. You're no longer going to be angry. You're no longer going to be able to find a way and seek a way to get even because it's come out and people have owned it and confessed it and forgiveness can take place. But what about us? Those seem so far away. They seem painful. Well, I have four things that I want to share. They're not steps. They're things that you can do, and you may do them in some different order. Okay? The first thing, for us on this path of forgiveness, of not remaining in the parking lot of simply receiving forgiveness, but the first thing I want you to think about is to actually begin to identify who these people are. Who are these anythings and anyones that you have something against? You know who they are. It's not going to take very long. Identify them and make a list of them, the people that you need to forgive. A second thing is to ask God to help you forgive them. I'm not saying forgive them just yet, but get to the point where you can say, God, I need your help. I can't forgive them. And just lay it out there to God. A third thing that you can do is begin to pray for that person that they would come to know God. Pray for their forgiveness. Pray for them to have a, a real experience of who God is. And then the fourth thing, again, you can do these in any order, is to ask God to forgive you. To be reminded again that there are people out there that have things that you've done that are real that you need forgiveness for. So ask God for that forgiveness. It's pretty uncomfortable, isn't it? Isn't this a strange way to begin? It's repentance and confession and forgiveness. Isn't this an odd way to prepare the way for the Lord? Well, brothers and sisters, as Christians, we need to lead the way in no longer being a people of hate. We need to lead the way in our neighborhood of not being people of anger. We need to lead the way in not being the kind of people that polarize and divide over all kinds of things. That is a game that is always a losing game. We have to lead the way in being the forgiving people the people that know that God has forgiven us and are able to offer that forgiveness to others. That is a way that you prepare for the Lord to come. Through our own life, not through something abstract, not through a program, not through even a new preacher, but leading the way from our own lives. Christians, I believe that we can do this in Albuquerque, that we can set the pace for what it looks like to be a Christian, to set the pace and put the pedal to the metal of what it looks like to forgive, 
and to drive away the darkness and the secrecy that holds us back. To know that God is God, to know that I'm not God, and to know that you're not God too, and that you need my grace and my mercy as well. Let's pray. God, we need your help. There are big things and mostly little things that drag us down and keep us from forgiving one another. Would you please help us? Help us to forgive. Help us to be honest with ourselves that maybe we haven't yet forgiven. To know that things don't always have to go our way, and sometimes they don't, and that can be okay. God, through the amazing ministry of Jesus, you've shown what it's like to stand in the middle of friends who betray you. Can we take something away from that, Father? Will you help us see what that looks like in our marriage, in our family, at school, in our workplace? And may we as Christians set the pace for what forgiveness looks like and repentance and confession look like. Through Jesus, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, as one God, now and forever. Amen.